Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway. This is uh, our, our fifth Sunday, I believe, in our Pray for One series, and we're glad that all of you are here with us this morning. I'm Brian Dillon, and I'm the campus minister here, and I'm glad that each of you are here this morning, especially if it's your first time. I want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. If you don't know already, here we are. We're in the middle of this Pray for One sermon series, and as of last Sunday, we are at 316 names that we are praying for across all campuses of Gateway. Yeah, that's right. All right. So imagine what's going to happen. Imagine the movement we will see within our community as we commit ourselves to standing in the gap for 316 souls, 316 lives changed by Jesus Christ. And isn't 316 just kind of a fitting number? Now, We don't want to stay there. That's not the perfect number. We want that number to increase, but it's a good number to kind of rest on uh, for this week. And I promise that's actually the number and not just something that sounded good uh, for the sermon. You know, I know that some of you haven't joined in with us on the mission yet, not because I'm keeping tabs of who comes up here and writes a name or doesn't write a name, but because, well, we had 94 names after last Sunday. And if I was just to do a little bit of math, I also know that there are are about 225 adults that rotate through our services on a regular basis, which means that we're less than 50% and people writing names on the wall. And and this isn't a guilt trip because I'm never going to know if you write a name up here or not. Like we're not, we don't have security cameras watching you. Don't pay attention to that camera on the wall. Uh, I don't go back. I don't go back each week and, uh, and see who wrote a name. You know, there's not a star next to your name in a chart in my office or anything like that. But each week, I'm hoping and praying that we can get to 100% of us to pray for one, because that would mean that 225 people will be being prayed for in an intentional way in our community. And if we had 100% participation at all of our Gateway campuses, then nearly 1,000 people in our communities here in West Virginia would have someone personally praying for their salvation. I'm just really excited for what God could do with that. What God could do through us and our communities if we would commit to all pray for one. And I believe that God is going to bring revival to our church through this. We are seeing some really great momentum at every Gateway campus right now. And I believe that this is going to be the catalyst for even more growth in our church. Not just in numbers or attendance because that's not what it's about but in spiritual growth and how we love our communities and take an interest in seeing real change that can come through Jesus Christ. And I want to reiterate that we are working on God's perfect timeline here. I mentioned at the end of our second service last week that God is never going to give up on our one. He is never going to abandon the mission. He's never going to get bored. He's never going to think it's taking too long. He's never going to move on to somebody else. He's always going to be waiting for your person to come home with open arms. And so whether your one accepts Jesus in a month or in a year or however long it takes, God is always going to be seeking them. And as time goes on, if anybody in this relationship is going to get impatient and give up, it will always be us. It's always going to be on our side of it. God will never be the one to grow tired and give up. So friends, let us not give up either. Don't be the ones in this relationship to give up on your one. No matter how long it takes, let's do whatever it takes. 
Last week at our St. Albans campus, we had a baptism of a one, and the gateway member said that she had been praying for that one for five years. For five years, she's been diligently been praying for this person, and last week, they were baptized. And so friends, let's not get discouraged. Let's not give up on our one, no matter how long it takes. Let's do whatever it takes to bring our one to Jesus. Now before we get into our scripture this morning, I want to share with you another story of some really great news. Today, this morning, right now, our Beckley campus is meeting in a a larger space. They moved there this morning in the Raleigh County Convention Center because they've seen such consistent and continued growth over the last few weeks that they had outgrown their space at the convention center there. Yeah. You know, our, our Beckley campus had some real momentum going, and they were consistently hitting 75, 80, and then the pandemic hit. That was at the beginning of 2020. They were hitting those numbers, and then the pandemic hit, and it knocked them down. They lost about 50%, but here they are. God is moving down in Beckley at our Beckley campus, and they're in this new space today, and we celebrate that growth and momentum with them today. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, will you meet me there? And I'll be there in just a few moments. The hope this morning is to provide encouragement to us as we pray for one in a world that is increasingly critical and antagonistic toward our efforts. And in a world in which our lives are too intertwined with the evil that's around us. You know, the evil in our world is evident every single day. We see news stories of people cheating one another and abusing one another and killing one another. And over the last couple weeks, now we have a new uncertainty as evil has driven a man to invade another country and force more than a million people to flee from their homes. And those that are unable to flee are stuck in their basements and in bunkers. And we see these news stories and you might think, That's halfway across the world. Now, how will that affect me? But after our first service last week, we had one of our our Gateway family here, Denise. He's here as a foreign exchange student with uh, another one of our members, Shannon. And he uh, he was. They were here asking for prayer because Denise is from the Ukraine, and his family, his mother and his blind grandmother, were stuck in the basement of their building because they had no transportation. And so they're just stuck there with nowhere to go, waiting for whatever might come next, waiting for a bomb to hit their building or waiting to be invaded in some way. And so we might see the news stories and think, oh, how will this affect me? But there are people in our community that are being affected by this in a real way. And imagine the fear and anxiety that Denise must have to watch this on the news and maybe not be able to communicate with his family, but just to see it on this end. There is evil in our world every day. And now we watch, we all watch with an uneasiness of what's going to happen next. And you would think that all the evil that is presented, that all the fear and uncertainty that comes from it would drive people to the church and to the Lord. But we still have plenty of empty seats here this morning, don't we? Despite all that's happening in our world, the masses still think that our faith in God is in vain. Now God often gets the blame for the circumstances of the world rather than the sin and evil that's within it. You know, a shift in perspective, I believe, would be good for many. Rather than blaming God when bad things happen, we should be thanking God that He sent His Son Jesus to provide us a way out. 
The resurrection of Jesus has ensured that one day we will reside in a place where there is no more evil, there is no more pain, and there is no more tears. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15-14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. But we know that Christ has been raised and is alive today, and so we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And we have every reason to pray for one so that others can know that living hope as well. And I continue to believe that the fields are ripe for the harvest, and offering people a security that they can find nowhere else is something that many would be interested in these days. You know, just the other day, I'm coaching t-ball again because uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. And, and so at the end of the practice, I, I just brought up, I can't even remember the reason why, but I just mentioned that I was a, a pastor. And so we kind of moved on the conversation, but then we came back at the end. She said, well, where are you a pastor at? You know, we just, we moved here and we just really haven't gotten in, plugged into a church yet. We really need to get back to that. And so whether people had a relationship with Jesus before and have kind of fallen off or they've never known Jesus at all, there is a yearning to come back to him. And so just throwing these things into a conversation can, can lead to somewhere where maybe people come back to church, come back to Jesus where they wouldn't have before. All right, on to Matthew chapter 13. This morning we're going to be looking at the parable of the weeds told by Jesus down in verse 24. Now you may remember back in the middle of January we did a sermon called Kingdom Strategy. It was a little bit of a preview of Pray for One, and we were in Matthew 13 then as well, but just a little bit before. We talked about the parable of the sower. And the sower, he sowed his seeds indiscriminately in all kinds of places. He threw it all over all over the path, all over the, the rocks, everywhere he threw it. And here's the thing about planting seeds, and you know this if you've ever tried to plant seeds and waited for flowers to grow, or if you're a gardener, is that it takes persistence and it takes patience. And that's why many of us are bad gardeners. That's why I am a bad gardener. I don't have enough of either one of those. But those are two qualities that we want to incorporate into our efforts when we pray for one. We want to be persistent, and we want to be patient. The next parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13 is called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And sometimes, sometimes the weeds are refer, is referred to as the tares. This story can be referred to as the wheat and the tares. The Greek word for tear is zizania, and it refers to a weed that so closely resembles wheat that you can't tell them apart until the harvest. And so some, when they have done these different translations, some have interchanged weeds and tares, making this a truly terrible parable. You're welcome. <clears throat> All right, so let's read through Matthew 13 together, starting with the 24th verse. Matthew writes, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? So this... Uh, he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let's both, let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat 
into my barn. And so here we have another sower, but instead of sowing indiscriminately, he is sowing in a field. And Jesus would later tell his disciples that the field is the world, the seeds are people, and the sower is the Son of Man. God is sowing his people into the world and causing them to grow. But there's not just one sower in this story. There's also a second sower, and it's Satan looking to sabotage the work of God in the world. He slips in under cover of night, unnoticed, and sows seeds of weeds in amongst the wheat. And nobody notices until it's too late. Nobody notices until it comes time to harvest because it's so hard to tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds. And so the workers, they go ask the master, do you want us to to go pull the weeds out from amongst the wheat? But the master, knowing that the roots would be so intertwined, it would be impossible to pull out the weeds without also pulling out the wheat, told them to let both grow together until the day of harvest when the weeds could be separated out to be burned in the fire. And the wheat would be taken into the barn for safe storage. And that's the parable. When Jesus was asked to explain the parable later, he explained that the sower of good seeds represents himself, the Son of Man. And he is planting his people into the world which is represented by the field. The field is the world. The sower of the bad seeds, the Zazania weeds, is the devil. The devil has slipped into the world since the fall of man to plant agents of evil amongst us. The harvest time is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels of God. The fire represents hell, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the barn represents heaven. Now, I told you that we want to draw encouragement from this parable this morning about the kingdom of heaven, to to be patient and persistent as we pray for one in a world that is increasingly antagonistic toward Christianity and in which our lives are too intertwined with the evil around us. So what is the encouragement then that we can find from this parable? Well, the first encouragement we can find is that judgment day is coming. And that might not sound like a lot of encouragement, but you just got to hang with me here. Judgment day is coming. The day of harvest is coming. Peter tells us in the third chapter of 2 Peter that the people of his day, they doubted the return of Christ. And I know there are people even today, even believers, who doubt the return of Christ. But listen, we cannot doubt God's Word on this. One of our core beliefs concerning Jesus is that He will physically return to this earth to judge both the living and the dead. In 1 Peter 4, 5, we read that they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In Acts 10, 42, Peter's preaching to the house of Cornelius, and he says about Jesus that he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day, or until the judgment of the great day. And these days, one of the more popular things when it comes to Christianity or just theology in general is a real big focus on heaven, but not so much on hell. A lot of people are saying that hell is non-existent. It's not a real place. How could a God that loves you so much send you to a place called hell? And it reminds me of a young Christian girl named Susie who came home from college one day and, and told her mama that she had met a boy named Johnny at, at school. And, and she and Johnny, well, they were in love. 
Mama, she was so happy. That's all she ever wanted for her girl was to find a nice Christian man. She said, now make sure he's the right one in every way, Susie. And so the next day, Susie, she came home down in the face, big crocodile tears rolling down her cheeks. And, she said, and Mom said, oh, honey, what's wrong? Come here. And Susie said, Johnny said, said he wants to marry me, Mama, but, but Johnny doesn't believe in hell. And with a heavy sob, she threw herself into her mother's arms. And her mama squeezed her tight, patted her on the back, and said, it's okay, baby. You go ahead and you marry Johnny, and together we'll teach Johnny all about hell. We'll, t- we'll, we'll show him. All of time and history is heading toward one great day, towards Judgment Day. All of the Bible points to the coming of Jesus. The Old Testament points to His first coming, and the bulk of the New Testament points to His second coming. And where we need to draw encouragement from this truth is is that not one second of our time, not one ounce of our energy and effort at praying for one will be in vain. It reminds me of a story I read about suffering. And sometimes when we suffer, when things, we go through, through things in our life, what would really help us to get through that is that there would be something productive that would come through it. That we'd be able to help others out through it. That, that there we'd be able to see something, come, something good come from it on the other side. Yet, when that doesn't happen, we struggle a little bit, right? What, what was this all for? What would I have learned from this guy? Why would you put me through this? What, what are you trying to teach me here? What was this all for? How many people go through life suffering and never see the good come out of it? In this story, I, I, the, the end conclusion was that though we may, there, nobody ever may see the suffering, there, there may be no good on the other end of it, we have a whole host of heavenly angels that are watching us all the time not just for the bad. We often think, oh, God sees me all the time. He sees all the bad things we do. But there is a whole host of, of angels, that, and God in heaven sees how we handle these situations. They see the suffering that we go through. And so just imagine all that you do, all, all the times that maybe nobody sees your faith in these situations. It's like there's these cameras pointed on you, and they, they see from heaven, they see what's going on in your life and they see your, how you're handling these things. None of the things that we do, none of the prayers, none of the love, none of the things that we do in faith are ever in vain. And this is what the Apostle Paul says when he's talking in the last verse of 1 Corinthians when he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Judgment day is coming, and we have work to do, and our work starts in prayer. And pray for one is an incredible way to engage in a focused evangelistic prayer for those who are headed toward a Christless eternity in the fires of hell. A place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, a phrase that reveals the agony of body, mind, and soul, as well as the agony of regret for living an entire life committed to serving the selfish pleasures of sin and rejecting the offer of God through Jesus Christ. The second encouragement that we hope to find this morning from this parable is that the conflict is real. This is real conflict. This is what is going on in our world today. It is spiritual warfare. And we don't like to think about that sometimes. We don't think about something other than this world, but it's happening. It's real conflict, and it's affecting more than just the spiritual. 
It's spiritual warfare, but it's tearing up the physical. It's tearing up our bodies and our reputations and our marriages and our families. Evil is all around us and even within us, and we live every day right in the middle of this conflict. We live every day within the tension of good and evil. Because the devil is hard at work, and often we're too, we're too asleep at the wheel of life to realize it. We're too lazy and lethargic, apathetic about the work that we've been called to do. And it's time to wake up. I said earlier with the focus for us, I made that joke, but it's time, oh sleeper, to wake up and realize what's going on because we need to guard the gates. We have to guard the door of our hearts, the door of our marriages, and the door of our families because the evil one is coming to get in. The devil, he wants to plant zizania seeds in those places, the counterfeit and the fake, and he wants to get in your life so intermingled and so intertwined with the things of this world that you have a hard time getting out. He wants to offer you something that appears so beautiful on the outside, yet is merely a cheap imitation of what God has to offer. God, on the other hand, He gives gives us all that is good and pure. And He's working for good in our lives, even in the midst of the evil that goes on around us and within us. He allows us to enjoy His goodness while we live on this earth, even as we live amongst the evil going on around us. The psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Now don't misunderstand. The two are not equal. The devil is a created being and is nowhere near the place or the power of God. God is the only supreme being and He will have the final say. The devil will be dealt with once and for all one day and so will those who choose to reject Christ in this life. When the harvest time comes, God will separate the weeds from the wheat. And Jesus says in verse 42 of Matthew 13, He will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the meantime, if we're not paying close attention, if we go to sleep and we let the the devil into our field, it won't always be easy for us to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. Now, I'm reminded here of the old story of the way that you boil a frog, which is, of course, that you can't simply throw a frog into a boiling pot of hot water because he'll jump out. Immediately, he senses the danger. He knows that he's in pain and he's going to jump out. The way that you boil a frog, as I've been told, I've never actually done this, but the way that you boil a frog is to put cold water in the pot. Because then he's used to it. Or maybe room temperature. But put something comfortable to the frog in there and he'll stay in there. And then slowly turn the temperature up. Because he doesn't realize the danger that he's in. He gets accustomed to the temperature and you keep raising it more and more and he doesn't realize what's happening until it's too late. Friends, I fear that we can sometimes be the frog. If you were to present some scenarios of this world, if you were give us, to give us a map of the future to us of where we might end up or the things we might engage in, if you just did that without any context, you, you would flat out reject it. No way. I would never find myself in that place. I would never say those things. I would never do those things. But if we start small, something that feels comfortable to us, and just dabble in it a little bit, and have the temperature turned up on us little by little, Pretty soon we've grown accustomed to the evil that's all around us and we accept it a lot easier. And what's sad, maybe what's scary, 
is that we may not realize that we lost our sense of good and evil until it's too late. This parable of the weeds is the story of the history of the world and kingdoms at war. What God made in the beginning of time, it was all good. But the devil slipped in to the Garden of Eden with seeds of deception and has been sowing his seeds into the world from that moment on. But then, but then Jesus came to the earth and he showed us what the kingdom of God really looks like. Even more than that, when Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came to fill his followers and convict them of the sin in their lives. And I think it's time we stop being dumb frogs and start listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As a Christian, you know when the stuff that you're allowing yourself to get mixed up in is wrong. You know when you're going against the will of God. You know when you allow yourself to get too close to the boiling point. So stay away from evil. Don't get mixed up in it. Hop out of the pot before you lose yourself. Last week we said that we need to do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus. And we talked about how the Apostle Paul said he became all things to all people so that some might come to know Jesus. And that is what our attitude should be, no doubt. But that doesn't mean that you have to indulge yourself in the evils of the world in order to reach people for Jesus. Because we're not undercover cops trying to get the crew to trust us. We're not, we don't have to get in and start doing what they're doing in order for them to see Jesus. You don't have to blend in with the world to reach the world. In fact, it's how you stand out from the world that's going to be appealing to those that don't know Jesus. A Savior that is the same as anything else isn't a sa- Savior worth following at all. Friends, there will come a day when Christ returns and will snuff out the evil of this world as he separates the weeds from the wheat. And God's glory will resound throughout the ages. So what are we going to do until that time? Until the day of harvest, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to pray for one. We're going to pray for one. And when we see that one come to Christ, well, we're going to pray for another one. And we're going to pray for another one. And we're going to pray for another one. And it's just going to keep going. And that might sound really exhausting. That might sound like it never ends. And you know what? (laughs) You're right. On and on it goes because this is the call of the Christ follower. This is the mission of the Christian that we would love God and love others and make disciples. That we would constantly be looking to reach new people for Christ because there are so many people out there that are dying on the vine because they don't have Christ in their lives. Our mission will continue until the day of the harvest because The fields are ripe for harvest, but the laborers are few. The work is there for us if we choose to take it up. So friends, let's start praying for one. And when that one comes, let's pray for another one. And let's pray for another one, celebrating all along the way the lives that have been changed by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. And some of us might be in a place where the wheat and the weeds of our life are indistinguishable. And so this morning I pray that if we're in that place that we would wake up and see the evil that we've allowed into our lives and get rid of it. That we would not allow ourselves to, be, to blend in with the world so much that we lose sight of who your son Jesus is and how we've been called to live. 
Father, this morning, I, I pray for those that are dealing with spiritual warfare in their own lives, that are seeing the physical representation of the spiritual warfare that's going on in their lives, and in, the, in, their, in their hearts, and in their reputations, and their marriages, and their families. I pray that we would come to you for help in this spiritual battle. That we would take it seriously. That we would start getting rid of the evil that is in our lives. Father, I pray that we would heed the call to pray for one. That we would be looking to reach new souls for your son, Jesus. Because there are so many people out there that don't know him, that have fallen away from him, that don't know that you're waiting with open arms for them to return. Father, this morning, I just thank you for your love so much that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to remove all sin, so that we can have a personal relationship with you. Father, I thank you for your grace that allows allows us to be washed clean, allows all of our sin to be forgiven and forgotten, that though we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And I thank you for the empty grave, that we have a living hope in Jesus Christ that says the evil of this world has no hold on us because we have a Savior that has defeated the grave. And I pray that in our hearts you would start a stirring that would lead us to tell others, to pray for others to come to know who your son Jesus is, to come back to your son Jesus, that we would take up the work of the laborer in the field. Father, I, I thank you for all that you've blessed us with through your love and your grace, and I pray that we would feel a responsibility, feel a call on our lives to reach others the way that somebody else has reached us. That we know Jesus because somebody else cared about us enough to tell us about him and that we would do the same for somebody else. That they would be saved from this place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because of Jesus Christ. So Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. Most of all, I thank you for your son Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in a moment, we're just going to enter into our time of response. Throughout the series, it's looked a little different here, and it's because we want it to be a little bit different. So we're going to play a couple songs here in just a moment, and during that time, we invite you to respond in any number of different ways, and you can respond during the first song. You can respond during the second song. This is a free moment of response to whatever Jesus might be putting on your heart this morning, whatever tugs you might be feeling on your heart this morning. So if you have a relationship with Jesus already, if you're a follower of his, we invite you to come and, and take communion with us. We have tables in the, two in the front and one in the back. You can just come and, and take that back to your seat and just spend some time in reflection with the Lord. Remember the sacrifice that has been paid for each one of us. And to examine where maybe we've let the weeds get into our life. We need to focus back on King Jesus. Maybe you've come this morning and 
You want to know what your next step is in your, in your faith journey. It might be a profession of faith. Maybe you don't have that relationship with Jesus already and you need to come and make that right. You came in here this morning, your old self, dead in the sin, and you can come and be made new, made alive in Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. And we will celebrate with you for the greatest decision you could ever make. Maybe it's joining a small group or serving as part of our team here at Gateway. We can help you figure that out this morning. If you come here this morning and you're dealing with a lot right now, there's something going on that you are feeling attacked. There's a storm going on in your life. I'd love to pray with you. God has given us this great gift of prayer. He wants to be involved in your situation. He wants a personal relationship with you, and he has invited us to bring all of our cares and anxieties to him through prayer. And I would love to come alongside and pray with you this morning. Involve God in the situation that you're dealing with right now. So you can come forward, and I'd love to pray with you. And last week, we're in this middle of this pray for one. And we're writing the names of our one, the first name of our one on the wall. If you haven't done so, then I hope that this morning that would change. You know what? Maybe God, maybe you feel like God hasn't given you a name yet. That's great, but I hope that you're praying. That's okay. I hope that you're praying for that name this morning, that he would give you a name, give you a responsibility, give you somebody you can make a priority to pray for daily, that they would come to Jesus. So if you have that name, I invite you to come up and write that name on the wall. I'd love to fill these walls with 225, 250, whatever it looks like names that 100% of us would be praying for somebody that we would be taking this seriously enough to take up the mission to pray for one. Somebody in our life that we want to see come to Jesus to make it real by writing their name down and start taking ownership of that person that we might pray for them daily here in just a moment. We're going to give you a little bit of time, a minute or so to, to come and, and get your communion and take it back. And then however you want to respond after that, I'll be down front. But we'll also be singing. If you want to, if you want to sing, we'll have the words up. You can sing along with us. However you want to respond in these next couple, it's a free thing. We want you to listen to the call that God has placed on your heart. At this time, we'll enter into our time of communion.